Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 61st edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys in person today, actually. Anthony's not joining me via Zoom. We are at our uh, studio at work that remains undisclosed. But you may hear an occasional toilet flush or two as we are in the sewers. That's a that's a great way to describe our situation. That's right. We're going to take you through Carolina's matchup with Kentucky. It was supposed to be UCLA. COVID got in the way of that. Carolina-Kentucky tomorrow, 5.30 on CBS in Las Vegas. Break down the Wildcats. Give you some news about Carolina. Then give our keys to the game. Pick the game. All that great stuff. But before we do any of that, we start every preview edition of the pod, as we always do, with our pod thought of the day. We go to Old Roy. This is a good one. If the mailman stopped to kick every dog that barked at him, he'd never deliver the mail. If that ain't a Royism, I don't know what is. <laughs> that is... That is prime Roy Williams right there. You see, and you that sh- is beautiful. You should really like that one because I can't make that directly about you and your performance or lack thereof from time to time on the podcast. So that's that should be Dude, even- you. You you are going to be so so screwed when I decide one day to just pack it up and leave and just focus on on my career, my on on other ventures. You don't think that I could lure people to come work with me? No. Look at look at look they at They would last one episode and they would be like, "Yeah, this dude's a chotch." Look at the numbers. Look at the money that's coming in to you wouldn't be distributed to anybody else. You never know that. Sure. There's your pod thought of the day. I'm a five-star. That's mm. what I know. Let's get into Kentucky. I got to make sure I I phrase this correctly so this doesn't come across uh oh, the wrong way. I'm going to be the one finding a replacement for you, maybe possible. COVID is a terrible thing. Don't like COVID. We want it to all go away. Yes, please. Back to back years, Carolina and Kentucky were not scheduled to play in this event. 
But because of COVID issues with Ohio State last year, Carolina got Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And now with COVID issues with UCLA this year and then Ohio State again for Kentucky, we get Carolina-Kentucky again. So it's it's kind of ironic how back-to-back years this matchup wasn't scheduled, but we've still gotten that matchup as a result of the of, of the pandemic. And we, we'll say what CBS won't say out loud. They want this matchup every year because it's the more attractive matchup. They're the two most historic programs in the sport, both programs with 2,300 wins, only two or three programs to do just that. It is a rivalry. There is passionate hatred between our fan base and the Kentucky fan base. Carolina-UCLA was a thing in the late 60s because that was at the height of the UCLA dynasty, and it, it, and they got in the way of Dean Smith winning national championships. Ohio State, we've seen them enough because of the ACC Big Ten Challenge from time to time, because of the CBS Sports Classic, it's not a rivalry. There's not there's not a passion between when, when those two programs take the floor. There's not you're you're hard pressed to find a game that has more history tradition than Carolina Kentucky outside of North Carolina and Duke, and, and so. This is why it's always when these two teams play each other, it's usually the best matchup of the event. Um, it's usually the highest rated matchup of the event. It's usually one of the more high rated matchups during the regular season for college basketball outside of, of course, the two Carolina uh, Duke Carolina games, the Kentucky Louisville game, and some other games that'll happen along the way. So we get Carolina Kentucky. This will be the fourth time these two teams have met in the CBS Sports Classic. Kentucky is 2-1 and one against Carolina in the event, but Carolina did win last year to get their first win. Of course, the most memorable matchup came back in December of 2016 where Kentucky won a high-scoring overtime matchup behind Malik Monk's 47 points. That was our first glance at what Luke May would eventually become as a Tar Heel. Carolina, of course, get revenge over Kentucky in the Elite Eight on their way to the Final Four and all the way to the National Championship. The Wildcats enter with a respectable 7-2 and record. They lost their season opener to Duke, and then they lost at Notre Dame a week ago. Notre Dame, not a great team, but on the road in that building, in that environment, we've seen over the course of their time in the ACC, it doesn't matter if Notre Dame is good or not, it's still a tough place to go on the road. And when they got three players averaging double-figure scoring, led by Oscar Deshibi, I know I botched that. Deshibwe, Deshibwe, sixteen. Dish, Deshibwe. No, no, now Deshibwe. Yeah, that's how you pronounce. Averaging sixteen point three points and fourteen point four rebounds. They've got Ty Ty Washington, who's a, their lead guard, a guy we saw up close last year. I knew you were going to covering the um, the bash event in Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Um, just just a grown man as a guard. So he, interestingly enough. Uh, is projected currently top ten in the NBA draft. You know, by the way, who who they have uh, taking him at number ten in the NBA draft currently? Probably the Knicks. The New York Knicks. That's right, because of course he's a Kentucky player, and the Knicks are in need of guard play. But yeah, he's he's really good. He got a lot of uh, he he caught a lot of slack uh, after the first game of the season against Duke. Didn't really understand that. I mean, Kentucky fans were like, this kid was horrible. Why did we pick this kid up? Now he's he's pretty legit. The biggest problem for Kentucky coming into this game, they haven't beaten anybody. Well, and I mean nobody. Like, they're, they're two significant games 
they both lost. Now Duke's understandable. The reason that can that Notre Dame's concerning is because outside of them, you have beaten Robert Morris, Mount St. Mary's, Ohio. Ohio's not a bad win. That's that's probably the best one on there. Albany, North Florida, Central Michigan, and Southern. So I mean, we don't really know how good this team is. Jerry Palm of CBS actually put out his first bracket projections. Me and one of our coworkers here were looking at him. Right now, and again, it's so early that I don't even know why they do these. They have Kentucky in the first four out because they just really haven't played anybody. So their statistics on paper look really good. They score the ball pretty well. They defend really well. They're allowing 61 points per game. The problem is the level of competition that they've played is not great. Well, if you look at the the recent history of Kentucky, if they haven't beaten Kansas, Duke, or Michigan State in the opener, and if they haven't won this game, whoever they play in the CBS Sports Classic, Carolina, UCLA, or Ohio State, and then if, if they don't beat Louisville, they enter the SEC season like this every year because they have the marquee season opener, they have this event, and then they have Louisville. You don't very rarely see them in Maui. You don't usually see them at the Battle for Atlantis. Right. So they don't they and, lim- and, and I mean understandably because you know most teams are not going to schedule a, a a super gauntlet like this. Only really only Carolina does that. They're their challenge with the SEC, it's usually in mid, the mid. middle of the conference play, which I've been a big proponent of saying the ACC and the Big Ten should use that model. Or Big Big 12. Big, yeah, they play Kansas this year um, in the middle of the conference. So, you know, I, I get where you're coming from, that they haven't beaten anybody. It's still Kentucky. They've got a top five coach in the country. And in a lot of ways, even though because they don't have the number four of a Southern game like UCLA, this game still provides what Carolina needed going into this weekend. Well, but It's what, a measuring stick game for the Tar Heels. I get that, and I'm with you on that. But what I'm saying is, is this is no doubt a more attractive matchup for the Tar Heels than UCLA. I mean, I get it. I get UCLA is a stiffer test for you. There were some Tar Heel fans on there saying, well, we were going to beat UCLA, so this really hurt. And I'm like, okay, well, that that's a good mindset to have going in. But overall, this is still one of those wins where if you get it, I, I would be absolutely stunned if this Kentucky team doesn't make the tournament this year. I don't think that's happening. I don't think they're anywhere near as bad as they were a year ago. This is a second weekend of the tournament type of team. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I, again, it's it's hard to tell with exactly what they've they played so far. If they would have beaten Notre Dame... Even if that game was close, you would probably feel like okay, there's a little more confidence. But I mean, there's still there there's still a lot of talent on this team. Toshibwe, as we've talked about, Ty Ty Washington is really good, and you I mean, bring and, in the, the the Davidson transfer, Kellen Grady, a guy that remember when he entered the portal, we were we were all of the opinion that Carolina should have gotten involved. It didn't happen. He goes he course goes to Kentucky, and that's what John Calipari. Has done he like Carolina, like many blue blood programs, Kansas the like. He's embraced the transfer portal. He's rebuilt yep. the roster with the freshman talent that he wants, but also understanding that. And you've seen it with Duke bringing in Theo John. You want to go deep into March. You want to make another Final Four, play for a national championship. Experience matters in college basketball. Yeah, and I mean Grady. Grady's been 
been good, not not great, not dominant. So I think that's an area where Carolina will still have the advantage going into this game. But you're right. I mean, you look at their five starters. I mean, they're all playing relatively well. And as I mentioned, they're averaging 80 points a game. Now, you know, that it's inflated a little bit because they scored 100 out of the gate against uh, Robert Morris, their second game of the season. But it's just still I mean, they're a team that's going to score the basketball. So I don't know. I don't think this will be as high scoring as that 2016 matchup that you talked about. But I think that this could be one of those games where you see some some points on the board. The Tar Heels could be exchanging baskets with this Kentucky team. And, uh, again, we've talked about it. I think this Tar Heel team is more than capable of doing that, more capable than any of these past few seasons. Well, the thing about Kentucky, they score the ball in a unique way. They uh, they average making 26 point, or 26 two-point field goals a contest. That leads the country. Um, and, and also, they are the third-best offensive rebounding team in college basketball and the third-best overall team in college basketball. You know what You know what Kentucky is? They are what Carolina looked like under Roy Williams. Yeah, they've got they've got they rotate nine guys as well. So they've got some depth there that they aren't they, they aren't cutting down yet. Usually they're a team that is a little bit thinner. So yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Carolina showed that they were capable of hitting the offensive glass in the last game against Furman. They gotta show that they're able to do that again. In this one, because yeah, the team, this Kentucky team, is going to do that to you. How do you counter that? Can you? That Carolina's had. I'll I'll give them this. They've had really good success on the defensive glass this season. How many teams have really found offensive rebounds on the Tar Heels this season? Outside of the teams in in Connecticut, not many. They've done a really good job. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting battle, and I think this is going to show you where this team is at. In terms of of rebounding, is this a team that you know some of these bigger teams and some of these teams that were used to competing, just competing with Carolina on the glass in conference season, will they be able to have an advantage like maybe this Kentucky team would? I don't think so. I think it'll be fairly even. If not, I I, I still it's hard for me to think that a Carolina team isn't going to out rebound somebody. But yeah, this is a test. This is a test in that area for sure. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, update you on some stats regarding the Tar Heels. Then we're going to get into a uh, an in-depth discussion about Carolina's rotation, give our keys to the game, pick the game before we get out of here for this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you will be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving new customers shots at millions of dollars and total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Bet $1 on any team to score and you win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required. 
only one per customer. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers. I've been giving you on both podcasts because I'm still pretty sure my ad is still running on the Heel Tough blog as well. Yeah, yeah, same ad. It's been running for a little bit. So so. uh, make sure you're getting over to DraftKings Sportsbook app using the promo code TBPN or TPPN for the Four Corners podcast or the Heel Tough blog podcast to uh, score your winnings today. Let's look at some notes for or notes for Carolina. They are in the matchup eight and two. They've won five straight games. The biggest reason why they've held opponents in all five opponents to sixty three points or fewer in each of those contests. Still just night and day. I I asked our boss the other day. Which one? Uh, the Hog Father. Hoggy. Oh, yeah, I yeah, asked yeah, him yeah. the other day. He's a like us. He's a he's a Carolina basketball fan. Um, he's probably got the second closest basketball knowledge in the building behind me. Here we go. Um, and Here I and I just I, I was just like you know, have you seen a team that was so bad that one aspect of the game, which was for Carolina, it was guarding the ball, just playing defense. <laughs> And in less than a month, look drastically better. And he was like, you know, there's not a year that comes to the top of my head, but the answer is probably yes. But I think that's the thing is that we were just asking after Connecticut, hey, by ACC play, be competitive defensively. It took them a week. They took eight days off. They came back against Michigan, and all of a sudden they looked like the type of defensive team that had me – drooling all summer because I know they could be really good defensively. That could have gotten really bad over there. I saw that look on your face that you you wanted to go to a darker place. Good job. Well, yeah, if, no, it's, if, if the team wasn't winning, yeah. it would have been a darker place. Well, yeah, I mean, I get it. I, you, no, they, they really have. It is a completely different mindset that they've got going on right now. Um, and again, we, we've talked about it a couple of times. It, it, the coaching staff no doubt has to get the bulk of the credit here because they've they they've clearly been focused on that end of the floor and trying to get some things right because look this there's a good offensive team we know that they're capable of of, of scoring 80 in their sleep at this point um and and I mean even on an off night the other night against Elon they find a way to score 80 points when they had their worst shooting night of the season so this team is more than capable so I think they've put their focus into that and it's clear, and I think the other thing is, is I don't know, I, I don't think, I'm not going to say the effort wasn't there out of the gate. I mean, I think against Tennessee, it was definitely, that was a team that looked tired. It's the first time they've played back-to-back in a in a while since that ACC tournament, and first time together that a lot of those guys mm-hmm. have played back-to-back. And look, for that Tennessee team, looking a lot better. That team, number one in the country, I believe, in defensive efficiency. So they were really, really good. Um, but Carolina struggled defensively in that game. But I think since that point, it feels like that was a wake-up call. And you combine that with the time off where you could really hammer that home and say, we've got to focus on this. And I've also said it a few times as well. I think playing a little more in the half court, picking your moments when you want to run, 
has helped you. And I also think it's it's the type of opponents as well. We'll see what, what, if this can keep up when they start playing some of these teams in the ACC that want to push the tempo and run it. But I think part of it is that they've, they've learned that, hey, we're a little bit better at playing slower than some of the teams in the past. We need to control the tempo because... A couple of games early on in the season, Brown and College of Charleston come to mind the most. We didn't control the tempo, and we got a lot of points put up on us. We were just lucky that our offense was able to get us over the top in this game. So a lot of credit goes to the coaching staff, but the players have really bought in as well. I'm going to take a lot of credit, too, for pointing out what needed to get corrected, and it appeared to get corrected. Uh, Carolina, you mentioned the offense. This, This isn't a good offensive team. I'm going to go ahead and say it. They're an elite offense. They've got five players averaging double-figure scoring, led by Caleb Love's team's best, 16.2 points per game. The biggest thing about Caleb, and you saw this the other night against Furman, it wasn't his night that Carolina played through their bigs, as they should have, given given the size uh, advantage that they had over the Paladins. But when Carolina needs someone to make a play, Mm -hmm. make a big shot, it's Caleb Love taking those shots, and he's making them more often. He, he took a shot the other night where he just isolated his defender, jab-stepped, and made a three over the guy. Yeah, he, one you criticized, by the way. You said, not a great shot. Don't recall ever. That's a good That's a good shot. Don't, right. don't that, recall saying that. Yeah, okay, all right. That's, sure. a, that's a shot last year. He's not even comfortable taking, let alone confident taking. I mean, he might have taken that shot. I'm going to tell you. That thing would have been building a house. That wouldn't have been anywhere close. This year, confidence is there for him on the offensive end, where he knows, like you said, if this team needs a shot, I'm good enough to make it. Well, and I think as as much as I say play through the bigs, play through the bigs, play, and look, they should. Even in this game, put the ball inside, play through Baycott, Garcia, and Manic. No doubt, no doubt. The guards, the guard. This team was going to go as far as the guards are going to take them. That's, we, said, we said that how many times during the offseason? That's what well, I mean. That's that's just the nature of basketball. Like you, you need your front court players to play at a high level, and you need to play through your front court. Mm-hmm. But in this this era of basketball, the world we're living in, you're going to go as far as your guards take you. They got to be able to shoot the ball. And, and Carolina's simple? got guards that can make the shots. An example of that, they're still seventh in the NCAA and three-point percentage shooting at 41%. And this is coming off back-to-back games. They shot 33% or less um, but in both wins over Elon and then on Tuesday night against Furman. Can Which, I say this about that? I think that especially you saw it early on in the game against Elon. Is this team trying to force the three a little bit too much? Where right. I think early in the season it was coming to them and, and, and they were just taking it when it was there. I think now they they saw that statistic probably, and, and, and no one can fault them. It was floating around on social media. Were they are, are they feeling themselves a little bit from the outside and, and, and maybe trying to lean on that a little too much when it's like, look, put the ball inside, let those shots come to you? Because I thought when they did that, against Elon when they did that the other night against Furman those shots started showing up and going down there's been a handful of times where I thought they took a three that was out of the rhythm of the offense or what I deem a bad shot and let me clarify this is what I deem a bad shot if if you don't pass the ball more than three times or if the ball stays on one side of the court that's not a quality shot in my opinion you're too critical and I can back that up ah, because ah. that was Dean Smith's 
that was his you know his basic belief about his offense pass the ball three times move the ball across the court and then if you take a shot usually it's it's going to be a good shot their quality of shots the last couple years they weren't bad i didn't think they just couldn't make them this year i feel like the quality of shots that they're getting they're better and they're well they're just better at making them well 2019 i thought there were moments that's why i said the last couple of years few would have been 3 years ago that's a 2018-19 well, season first of all first of all no, 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 no. 18-19 was fine. That was Kobe's season. Yeah, but I said a couple I of years, the last I, two years. Right. I'm saying 2019-20 with Cole Anthony. I thought there were moments where there were shots that were inefficient. He, he, he that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, okay. But you're saying the last... Wait a second. We're getting in a loop here. You said the last couple of years. They haven't which, taken... Which well, I, they I haven't would, getting good shots. Oh, I thought you said they were getting good shots. Not at the rate they're getting this year. No, no, no way. But There's probably I, last, three to five see, times a game. I think they take a bad shot. Right. See, last year, I thought there were there there were some games where they got into trying to force things. I thought for the most part last year, they they took quality shots. They just didn't make them. 2019, I I felt like there was so much that was forced because you you basically looked at Cole Anthony and said you are the guy. You need to go he, to work. It was him or Garrison Brooks. Right. And and even early on in the season, they didn't really look for Garrison Brooks because before then, Garrison yeah. Brooks wasn't what Garrison Brooks became. So I think this year for sure, you feel so much more confident in all of the guys that are on the floor. And I think that shows that some guys have really grown. I think that shows that you've done a good job of finding quality starters around them, mm. and you're not solely based on just one or two players, which I think was the one of the biggest downfalls of, of, of the end of the Roy Williams era, why they didn't have more success down the stretch. Yes. So, I mean, I know it's tough to say. I hate it too, but now this looks like you see a top of the ACC team because there's so many different options that on any night can score the ball on any night can get hot from the perimeter except well except from Armando yet um at, you know on the other night there were mo- all three of the big guys inside were able to get hot mm. so there's so many different ways they're mixing it up and getting it to work this brings us to a, a conversation that at this point it might be a weekly conversation we have oh fun and and it 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 revolves the rotation oh no not oh not this and like look do i did i did i think at the under 10 minute mark of the second half the other night I should have seen a lineup that featured both Dontre Styles and DeMarco Dunn. Should I have seen more Kerwin yes. Walton and Justin McCoy? Yes. Should I have seen um, those guys? Absolutely. But I, I think, I think we're torn because well, you're winning, and you're you're playing well and winning. I think the conversation would be different if Carolina was a losing and he wasn't playing more players. Well, yeah. Or B, if Carolina was looking winning ugly. Yes. Yep. Like if Carolina was looking like they like they looked in 2019 and winning, or times last year where they were just 
barely winning because they were North Carolina? Like, let's say the other night's game against Furman was, or, or yeah, that Yale team was okay. But still, like, let's say Elon was like 2019's win over Yale, where you're literally biting your nails like we're going to get upset by a team that is not good. Then you would be like, okay, why are we not seeing more? They, these guys clearly aren't playing well. Let's see some other guys. Let's see if they're better. Right now, I mean, the results are there. And, I mean, when was the last time you honestly watched this team and thought to yourself, man, this team was this team is really, really struggling. They are looking really bad out there. Well, it, it, would, it, it brings me back to what I said after Elon and Furman. The guy that I'm most discouraged with isn't getting the minutes is Kerwin Walton because those were your two worst shooting nights that you've had since Connecticut. Okay. And he's your best shooter, okay. but you still found ways to win. He's on the floor for seven minutes in both of those games. How many shots did he take combined in both of those games? Zero. Okay. So it's a confidence issue. But Clearly. It, it, I don't know what more you want Huber to do. If the I want him out, to run the – I want you to put him in the game and do what you did when Dawson Garcia got off to a slow start, what Brady Manick happened when he had a slow start or had a bad game. You put him in the game, you, your first three to four sets – the ball is getting in his hands. Still don't think he's going to shoot it. I don't think there is any confidence right that, right now for him, clearly. Because last year, there were multiple times where he would take shots that you probably thought he shouldn't be taking, and he was making those shots. The confidence is just not there. You, it, you're Right now, if you're playing him for seven minutes a game, and you're putting him on the floor, and he's not shooting the basketball at all, no offense, what value does he bring to you? He's not a defensive player. He's not a guy that's going to drive and dish. That's the His value is literally come in the game and shoot the basketball. If he's not doing that, there's no point in having him on the floor. You're wasting, you're wasting minutes. Like Those minutes could be distributed to Anthony Harris, who's going to come in and at least play defense. He's going to be aggressive driving the basket. Or Leaky Black, your veteran defensive player who's having the best year of his career defensively. So, I mean, yeah, I want to see Kerwin out there as well based on what we saw last year. But with what we're seeing from him this year, I, I don't, I just don't see a way you can justify putting him on the floor right now if he's not going to shoot the ball. Like, you've got to have moments where you have some confidence. At this point, even if it's a bad shot, Let's see you throw something up just so that we know, okay, he's he's at least got the confidence to shoot the ball. Because right now, you're, you're literally just a, a body that's in the game. If he takes a bad shot, do I then have permission to complain about a shot selection? Oh, of course, because you're going to do that anyways. But um, it's like I said a few minutes. The biggest problem I have, like I, I don't really don't have a problem with the rotation. I, I really, I do. I want to see more Kerwin Walton. I want to see more, but if I'm getting the result that I want, which is first off a win, yep. But we're also every time I can look at after each game and say we got better. And in this five game winning streak, I've thought after every single game we've gotten better. I'm not going to outwardly voice my displeasure because it's like I said, well, it might have been either after Michigan or after Georgia Tech. He is going to – he's using his rotation like an NBA rotation. All these guys are in the rotation. You just don't know when they're going to play. Like, right. like is, is Anthony Harris going to guarantee get 
double-digit minutes every game the rest of the year? Absolutely not. He's no. He's not. There are certain games he won't play. He won't even play. You saw that against Michigan. Have as I've been as equally surprised with the lack of Kerwin Walton. Same for Justin McCoy. But Justin McCoy is the opposite of what Kerwin Walton is. He brings you value defensively, but. I get the feeling that when he's on the court and Anthony Harris is on the court, that is Hubert Davis's version of Roy Williams' ticked-off lineup. I'm going to put no scoring on the court, and you're going to freaking figure it out. That's, but it's not a problem because it's not. It's not. Carolina's still. They're right. still good enough with their because they got so many other offensive pieces that it's not a problem. So that's where I. I don't really care as long as. As long as they're winning, no one doesn't seem dishappy with their role. Heck, DeMarco Dunn and Dontrez Styles got done with their post game and went back into the gym and put up shots on Tuesday night. Yeah, and look, I'm sorry, I'm not forcing those dudes on the court right now. Those guys are not ready for bigger roles. And and here's here's the thing. Why don't you and this is not directed at you. This is more directed at the people that want to go onto the social media platforms after wins and not even acknowledge that the team won, but focus on the fact that the rotation is too small for them or that the freshmen aren't playing a whole lot. How about you trust the head coach of the Tar Heels that right now has strung together three really good wins in his last four games. And you could say, well, what's the third win? It can't be Furman. Yeah, that team's probably making the tournament. That's a good win. So can we can we trust Huber Davis just a little bit? Can we trust the other guys on the staff that they are the guys that are there in practice and are clearly seeing that, hey, these guys are not ready for extended roles. I, I'm, I'm at that point, and... With a guy like McCoy, I think the reason why you're not seeing him a lot is because Anthony Harris has basically taken over the backup role, the backup leaky black role. Mm. He When they put him on the court, sometimes it's that three-guard lineup where you've got RJ, you've got Caleb, and you've got Anthony Harris out there. And it's working. It's, it's still extremely effective. So no offense, why why are you going to put Justin McCoy into the game if he's not going to be as effective for you as Anthony Harris? That's the point that you're at right now. And it's, I mean, I don't know. To me, I'm not going to complain that much, especially with what the last two years have been. If they're winning, and they're winning the way that they are, I'm satisfied with that, If even if it means a smaller rotation. Let's get into our keys to the game for a win over Kentucky. I think the first one's pretty obvious. Carolina's got to rebound the ball. This will be the type of game where it's like whoever runs for more yards in football or hit, you know steals any more bases in baseball. Whoever gets the most rebounds in this game most likely is going to win. And look, I think Carolina. That's been the one thing that that they've improved since Connecticut. That's gotten maybe overlooked because of the how well they've improved defensively. But they're rebounding a lot better than they were to start the year. And that's saying something considering – or it's saying something if I'm saying that because how much I value that aspect of the game. In the, the first the first couple of games, they didn't like Carolina was going to be a quality rebounding team. I don't think they're going to be a top five rebounding team, top ten. They're a really good defensive rebounding team, as you mentioned. Right, right. Um, but they've morphed into a complete rebounding team because you're getting those additions – 
from the guards that you needed to. Like you like in 2018-19, as fun as that team was offensively, they were still the best rebounding team in the country because Kenny Williams got to the glass. Cam Johnson was a great rebounder. Kobe White got to the glass. You've seen R.J. Davis and Caleb Love have five rebound games. Leaky Black the other night led the team in rebounding. So you're getting contributions from all one through five spots on the floor, but this will be their toughest test. This is the best rebounding team they have seen. This might be the best rebounding team they see until the NCAA tournament, if we're being completely honest. As of right now, you've got Tshwebe, who's a great offensive rebounder, just a great individual rebounder at over 14 rebounds per game. That's an NBA number. And that, that's, that's, that's what you're seeing that's, from Rudy Gobert and those guys real. in the association. So it's going to be a team effort. And I, I think it's something that I think – I'm more confident today saying Carolina can compete and rebound on the glass with a, an elite with an elite rebounding team than let's say post Purdue, post Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, look, they they've got to be they at least have to compete on the glass. There's going to be moments where Kentucky's going to get offensive rebounds. I think it, I think one of the other things that's going to be key that you don't have written down here, but I think will will be interesting to watch. What does the second chance defense look like? If you've got a scramble after they get an offensive rebound, are you able to close out on shooters if they kick it out? Are you able to get back in, into position and contest shots if they're getting the ball and going right back up with it? How, I mean, how are you reacting to what they do? Because, yeah, there will probably be moments where they are going to get on the glass and hit it hard. So you've got it. But but I think, yeah, I, I think this team is capable. And the thing is, is the best part about this game for Carolina is you're coming off a rebounding performance that you can feel probably the most mm-hmm. confident of the season in. Because you had Armando Baycott had a great have a great night on the glass. Dawson Garcia had a double double in the last game. And even Brady Manick had even though he only had six rebounds that felt like probably his most aggressive night of the season because of what he did on the offensive end of the floor, on the offensive glass. So I think that it's it's going to be a tough task. And I think, look, if Carolina wins this rebounding margin, this is not going to be like what we're, we're used to, plus 12, plus 14. No, no, no. This is going to be like plus two or three. If, if they get rebound but, Kentucky by double digits, I'm going to have a lot of fun. Oh, they, they, that would literally be that. That will be the stat of the game if that happens, <laughs> and the entire podcast will be dedicated to a play-by-play breakdown of each rebound. <laughs> that that will be the entire podcast. So yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I think it's it's definitely. I'm with you. It's probably the toughest rebounding team that they will face until they get to the NCAA tournament. The only other one that I think will be anywhere near competitive, probably do. The second key I got, I got defend the lane, which just kind of transitions into two-point defense because, as I mentioned earlier, oh, man. K- Kentucky's the number one team in the country at made two-point field goals per game. Third, in, third in, in shot attempts, too. So they take a lot and they make a lot. It's not the Kentucky of old where they relied on the three-point shot. They don't have snipers from behind the three-point line. They want to get the ball inside. Ty Ty Washington is an aggressive downhill guard. Yep. He wants to get to the rim. He wants to hand the ball off to to Shwebe, to Kellen Grady, whoever it is down there in the paint. And I think Carolina has gotten better. 
But I, I I do think that is still the one area defensively where they can they could still take another step where sometimes they get a little lax they they allow opponent to get where they want to get to they just ultimately don't make the shots Kentucky's going to make those shots right because they shoot them a lot and they're just more gifted and more talented than the teams that you've played as of as of recent this could be a game and because we haven't seen it really since Brown slightly against the College of Charleston. You could see zone if there's an issue with Carolina containing the dribble. I'd like to see it. I'm going to be honest. I, I would like to see it if they if they're because yeah, I'm, you're right. There are moments that you see that issue pop up again. Now it now they do a good job of finding ways to adjust quickly. Well, and not I think letting people kill you. One thing that's been really beneficial, and you're not going to see that this from from Kentucky. The last two teams you've played, Elon Furman, they ran Princeton style offenses, which are predicated on getting backdoor cuts to the basket. And look, Caroline got beat a couple times. Yep. But it wasn't like it could have been. Oh, and, not like the last two years. And, and I thought and I thought even for the level of competition, Elon and Furman, I thought they screened really well. And I thought Caroline did a really good job getting through screens, fighting through screens, and not getting getting put in bad defensive situations. So they're they're starting to get a, an an identity defensively. But the next step is for Caleb Love and RJ Davis. They they haven't completely taken the game over defensively. They've impacted the game. Right. I think, and look, you've got Leaky Black, so you don't. Maybe you don't. That's why. But I think they are capable of taking over the game defensively with their length, with their size. R.J. Davis is just a gritty little player. He has that fight in him that you need, and so that's going to be it's going to be a really big key. I don't want to see him play zone because I don't believe in playing zone defense, but we haven't seen it. This could be a game where you see it to negate if Carolina is having issues containing the dribble, though. So I think at the least, uh, this is going to be a game where if I see a lot of leaky black and Anthony Harris on the floor at the same time, I'm not angry. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I think this is a game where you're going to need Caleb Love and R.J. Davis when they're on the floor to be efficient, but I think those two guys will be on the floor a lot, mm-hmm. Leaky and, and, and Anthony Harris together, because they're going to give you the best chance to take away the lane. So, And you're right. I mean, we remember from watching them last year, that's exactly what Ty Ty Washington is. He, he wants to drive right to the basket and finish there. That I mean, he's he can shoot the outside shot, but it's not great. And you're right. The last few years, they have been so guard-based that – it's really easy. I mean, the last couple of years, I mean, who was the toughest guy you had to face down low for him? Reed Travis? Like, this year, it's a little bit different. So, because Tishwebwe, gosh, man, he is a monster on the glass. So, yeah, that's that's the thing is you want to be able to defend the lane and, and not let them get those easy buckets or what could be another nightmare for Carolina, get to the basket and your bigs get in foul trouble. This is not the game. To have Armando Bacon in foul trouble. No, it, if he gets in foul you can, trouble, you can have any of them in foul trouble. This is the yeah. deep, this is the deepest team you've seen since Purdue. They 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 can go nine ten deep. Well, here's the but you for sure you cannot have Armando Bacon out of this game at any point. But I mean he'll have he'll have breaks clearly. But I think Hubert Davis should almost mirror when Tishibwe takes breaks. You need Armando matching up with him because as we saw earlier in the year when he matched up against another really good big man in Hunter Dickinson of Michigan. Held his own. He won that yep. matchup. Easy. 
He played way better than Dickinson did. They need that same type of effort in this game from them, and that means keeping them on the floor. If you let them drive the lane, that's going to put your bigs in in, in a, a tough situation. The last key I have, it relates to the backcourt. Carolina's got to make perimeter jump shots, I feel like, in this game because this will be this will give you a, a, a test of what the NCAA tournament will look like. You're going, you're going to need your guard play to play well to win because Ty Ty Washington has had his moments where he hasn't played well. The kid's on. He, he's a he's a PTPer. You've got Shavir Wheeler who averages almost eight assists per game. Kentucky doesn't have maybe the firepower that they that we're that we're used to seeing in the backcourt. They've still got really good players. And it'll be a really good test for Carolina's young backcourt of Caleb Love and R.J. Davis to see. Okay, we saw where you had grown to at at at, at the Mohegan Sun. Had some work to do. They've grown since then. They look really good against Michigan. They look really good at, against at, at Georgia Tech. You've had two weeks of since those moments. So now, how much more have you taken that next step? And, and look, I, it's not more about. The, the percentage. The percentage hasn't really freaked me out because we've seen 30% three-point shooting for the last three years. Oh, that'd be a blessing. They, they, were, they were the worst three-point shooting team in program history a season ago. It's just more about they're going to need to make them in this game, I feel like, to win. So I think the key guy here is you need Brady Manick to have one of his best shooting nights from three in a while. I, I I get the guards definitely need to shoot well from beyond the arc, but I feel like that hasn't really been the biggest issue. I think early in the season, one of the biggest things that you got out of Manick was timely three-point shooting. He would hit those big shots for you from the outside. Caleb Love's doing that for you now to a certain extent, but there's still been opportunities that Brady Manick has had in those second halves, and he hasn't knocked them down. In this game, you feel like he's got to be able to knock those down if you want to win this basketball game. And I think, you know, he's he's got that capability. He's I, I'm not concerned about where he's at right now because even the other night, didn't shoot great from beyond the arc, came back, found a way to you know score inside, including you know scoring second chance points by mm-hmm. getting offensive rebounds. So I, I think he's he'll be fine. But this is one of those games where I mean if you see Kerwin Walton for well, this was uh, this is who he broke out against last year, made four threes in that second half that sparked a win. Right. So this I, this could be that opportunity again for him. I don't know how long he'll be on the floor because this is as you mentioned, aggressive team that wants to drive the basket, that's what's going to hurt him the most on the defensive end. Those are the types of people when he's guarding against them that he really struggles against. But if he comes onto the floor and can knock down a couple of shots and get that confidence back, he could be a factor in this game as well. But you're right, they've got to make perimeter jump shots because here's the thing. I think Armando can have a good night inside. Toshibwe is going to give him some something to look at on the defensive end. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be easy for him, not like some of these other games. This is the point in the podcast where we normally pick the winner. There is not – the ESPN basketball power index for this game does not exist. Well, because it was just thrown together. um, It's a scramble game. Yep. I'll go ahead and start by saying I thought Carolina was going to beat UCLA. I think Carolina is going to beat Kentucky. Um, I think Mm. think think they'll get – you know, if if you did consider Michigan a signature win, if you didn't consider Georgia Tech a signature win, they're gonna then they'll get this against Kentucky. Well, if you didn't consider either one of those signature wins, no offense, you're kind of a moron. Sorry, like 
the success. I mean, you look. First of all, we don't we, look. We don't cuss on the pod, and we don't name call on the pod. Shut up. We don't. We don't say shut up on the pod. <sighs> what kind of podcast? Is we're this? we're a family programming. You know what? This that this makes sense to me because you you are a sensitive fella. I am. So it makes sense that you get offended by these types of things. But I, I mean, come on. If you don't think that a win over Georgia Tech's one thing, but that's a conference win on the road, on the road in December, in December. If Michigan was a top five team in the preseason. I know that they've fallen a little bit, but come on. That team is extremely talented. They have a heck of a head coach in, in Jawan Howard. That's a signature win. This one would be one as well, but I, I, I think, I don't know, I think Michigan would probably still be a little bit of a better win, but this is, yeah, this because it's a, it, it is a rivalry matchup. It's not one that you see every year, but when these two teams meet, these two programs don't like each other, and these two teams value winning this game a lot. I'm with you. I think that Carolina is going to win this game. I don't know. Man, UCLA that that would have been a really tough one. Uh, yeah, I I thought I thought they were going to win. Yeah, I mean the way they're playing, I I could have definitely seen it. But this one, I I think they're the better basketball team. I I just I I have I have questions about Kentucky. I don't think this is a team that's like I said earlier. I don't think this is a team that's going to miss the tournament. But at the same time, I don't really think that this is a dominant basketball team. Toshibwe, yeah, he concerns me a little bit, for sure. He's a heck of a player, and he's going to be a really good big man at the next level with those numbers. But I think that Carolina, with the way that they are playing offensively, I, I have confidence that they're going to be able to get this this done and get, get another big win that just continues to build upon what has been a pretty strong out-of-conference season. Well, there you go, guys. Both Anthony and myself predicting a Carolina win over Kentucky. You can catch that game Saturday, 5.30 p.m. over on CBS. That's going to go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. But before we let you go, do want to get you on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. We'll all be getting you ready for the Kentucky game with the preview. There will be a recap article posted the night of. There will be a recap podcast up the night of as well as no matter the Carolina's result against the Wildcats as we continue to take you through the Carolina basketball season. And as for football, National Signing Day has come and gone. Anthony recapped Carolina's top 10 class. They also added a... Uh, offensive lineman via the transfer portal today. That's up on the website. And then next week we will be getting you ready for Carolina's bowl game against South Carolina, which Sam Howell, or is two weeks away. We're two weeks now away from Carolina, South Carolina, in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl in Charlotte, where Sam Howell will be playing. And Anthony, we'll be getting you ready for that as we get closer and closer to that matchup. As for the podcast, I think you know where to find us. We're on the Basketball Podcasting Network. We host through Megaphone. We're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcast. You name it, the Four Corners Podcast is there. Give it a like, review the podcast, but most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you get every great podcast right there in your podcast library. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.
The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.